Hey guys, and welcome to the Little Law Podcast. My name's Aydin, and I'm the founder of Little Law. We've loved hearing the great feedback from those of you who've listened to the last few episodes, and we want to keep getting your thoughts. So message us on our social media channels to let us know what you think. You'll be able to find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. In fact, we finally got our shiny new podcast mics from now on as well, so we've sorted the issue with the audio quality on the last episodes. This time, I'm headed to Bath to have a chat with Elizabeth Rimmer and her dog Tango. Elizabeth is the CEO of the mental health charity Lawcare. Lawcare does some excellent work for legal professionals and students as well, but I'll leave that for her to tell you about. Anyway, let's kick off this episode of the Little Law Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Little Law Podcast. My name's Aydin Sabaipur, and I'm really glad to be able to welcome Elizabeth Rimmer today, uh, Chief Executive of Lawcare. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. Thanks very much. I'm really pleased to be here. Brilliant. To start things off, um, could you please give us a bit of an explanation and, and background to what Lawcare is? Yeah, so Lawcare is a charity that's here to promote good mental health and well-being throughout the legal community in the Republic of Ireland and the UK. And we work across the jurisdictions and all the professions in law. So solicitors, barristers, judges, trademark attorneys, patent attorneys, chartered legal executives, anybody working within the legal sector, both as a lawyer, but also as support staff or working in business services or within finance within a legal setting. But we're also here to support people who are studying and training in the law. Um, So we're really here for the entire uh, legal community. And we're here to help anybody in it. That's brilliant. And could you give us a bit of a background on your career and your path as well? Yeah. So I started my working life as a solicitor. I did a science degree and then did the old conversion course, uh, which is now the GDL, and then became a solicitor. And I moved into working in clinical negligence litigation for claimants, which I did for a couple of years after I qualified. And then I moved out of the law because I wasn't quite sure if it was the career for me because looking back on it, I found it quite hard to manage the sort of emotional aspects of the work. We had clients would come to the firm who had had very terrible things happen in their family. A child had been uh, perhaps injured during birth or a loved one had had a medical Uh, negligence claim where they may have died or left severely injured and I felt at the time that perhaps what we were doing uh, wasn't always helping them and I found that quite hard so I decided I'd have a break from law and I did a master's in medical law and ethics while I was wondering whether or not law was really for me and while I was doing that I landed up getting another job and I never went back to the law so I came to law care uh, five years ago Um, having had a working career post being a lawyer in the charity sector, working in small charities around mental health. And so Lawcare were looking for a new chief executive, somebody who'd been a lawyer, but also knew something about mental health. And I thought, ah, that sounds like the job for me. Um, So that's how I came came to be here. Um, And, you know, it shows you there are lots of pathways from being a lawyer, not necessarily staying in private practice. Yes. There's a whole range of things that you can do. So I'm sort of back in the legal sector, which is great um, because it's so interesting 
to see how things have changed so much in the last 20 years. And in terms of the background of law care, could you give us a bit of uh, information about how that all started? So law care was set up in 1997 and we actually grew out of an initiative of the Law Society of England and Wales who back in the 90s were worried about solicitors and how much they were drinking. So using alcohol as a coping mechanism for the sort of stresses and pressures of working in the law. And the Law Society had been looking at this and felt that solicitors needed some support with that. So there was a working group and a group of lawyers that supported other lawyers with alcohol problems. And out of that came Law Care. But originally we were called Soul Care because we were just there for solicitors. And then over a period of time we became Law Care um, and we were set up as an independent charity of the Law Society. So you mentioned how law care initially started to help the excessive drinking in the legal um, industry and by solicitors. Have you followed the recent story by the junior law division about um, reviewing the amount of drinking and drinking socials at law firms that's happening now? And what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a terrific initiative. So the junior lawyers division of the Law Society have brought out a guidance for firms on how to um, consider other ways of celebrating or networking without using alcohol. Um, So tying it in with dry January. There's going to be an event at the end of January in London for lawyers uh, where they can try non-alcoholic drinks. And I think that recognising that um, some of that drinking culture can have a negative impact on people, but also it can be excluding because a lot of people don't drink alcohol or that's a barrier to them participating in events because that's not the sort of thing they want to do. So I think it's terrific that they've brought out that guidance because it, it what it does is it helps people to start thinking and challenging those sort of accepted norms. That's not to say that, you know, alcohol is a bad thing if it's managed well and people are coping with it, but it's when you start using alcohol um, as a sort of coping strategy a maladaptive coping strategy for other problems that that that's not a good thing sure and as you said it 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 can damage the um openness and inclusivity of a firm where people think that uh they might not be able to engage in the social side of the firm so i've had friends who are who in the past have had challenges in in getting involved in the social aspects of um, vacation schemes and things where it has been going out um And things like that. If they're not drinkers, they do sometimes feel that they are Mm. left behind. And in that vacation scheme environment, they do feel the pressure to try and uh, be part of the group and not look like they're uh, not getting involved. So it is tough to manage that. And I think that I think I think that's part of the motivation behind this guidance is is a recognition of that 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 people can feel pressured to drink and that if you don't drink, you don't sort of fit in. Yeah. And actually we live in a, a society now where um, people are challenging the views around alcohol. From what I understand, I think there's evidence that younger people are drinking less um, than previous generations. There are many young people now who don't drink at all. Um, there are lots of people who don't drink for religious or cultural reasons or health reasons. Um, and so I think it's I think it's a really positive step because what it does is it starts the dialogue yeah. and what starts now maybe come in two or three years time that um, there'll be events that where there's no alcohol or if you're not drinking it won't just be water or orange juice there'll be something more interesting to drink right. and it will you know it won't be the focus 
sure. of the activity. So yeah, I think it's terrific that they've done that. Moving on to the legal industry and the stress that people suffer there. We hear about it a lot, how the job of a lawyer is a highly stressful one. And in the city, there's a lot of people suffering from it and even outside the city as well. How bad is the problem of excessive stress in, in amongst lawyers? Well, we've seen quite a lot of evidence uh, Well, in, the, in this country from the Junior Lawyers Division have been running an annual survey around stress and mental health issues uh, in the legal profession. And I think the last survey this year, which was done, uh, sorry, in 2019, uh, April, May of last year, about 48% of uh, respondents to that had experienced a mental health issue in the last month. We also know going back... Um, Way back in the 90s, the in America, was a large study was done at John Hopkins University that showed that lawyers have higher rates of stress, anxiety, and depression when compared to the general public. And that's been backed up by some further work that the American Bar Association did in 2016. Um, so we know there are issues in the law, but the question really is, why is that? Why are we seeing these problems? Um, and I think... Some of that comes down to the culture and practice of law. So the thinking styles of lawyers, um, the the work of being a lawyer requires prudence, critical thinking, being pessimistic. You're often looking for right. the worst case scenario. You're trained um, not to allow your emotions to impact the way you respond to things. So all of that coupled with a high-pressured environment with a long hours working culture, um, that pressure to be uh, on it all the time um, almost creates this perfect storm for some of those problems that we see. So you mentioned about the culture in law firms and we hear about the problems that do exist in law firms in terms of uh, having to work long hours. You hear about firms where the fact that lawyers have to work long hours is seen as almost uh, some, they're championing this or they're, they're promoting this or, or they're something that they're proud of. Do you think that that is something that does exist in reality or is it just something that you hear about or something that existed in the past? I think there is a long hours culture in law and I think it's pervasive across all sectors of law. So there may be this perception that people that work in the corporate city type environment are working very long hours. Yeah. Uh, but actually, it's across all sectors in law. People working in legal aid practice, family, immigration, they're all working very long hours as well in order to make the work pay. Um, I think for solicitors, a challenge comes around the billable hour model that we have. So lawyers are under that pressure to meet those billing targets and put those hours in. And I think perhaps there's also a, a, a generational issue that for uh, perhaps senior people in the, the legal profession think, well, it's always been like this. This is how I worked, been there, done there, yeah. got the t-shirt. This is how it is. And I think we need to challenge that because working those long hours means you may have less time or will have less time for doing the things that help you maintain your mental health and well-being because we all need those breaks and time out in order to do the things that help help us um, stay well. And I think particularly when we're talking about, you know, you were mentioning where you referenced this sort of FaceTime culture, that um, that presenteeism in the law is a challenge, that that sense that you have to be seen to be present if the partner that runs your department is still there at seven, you know, you may not feel you can leave before he or she does. Yeah. 
Um, and we need to get over that. We need to value the output that people do rather than the fact that they're just sitting there. Um, and there's been quite a lot of research that shows that working long hours doesn't make you any more productive. It makes you less productive um, because you're not going to be as good as you were on Monday morning at nine o'clock as you will be at five on a Friday if you've worked four 15-hour days. Um, So recognizing that and understanding that is really important. So if we were to speak to someone from a law firm who said, for example, to, to think of it from their perspective, you've spoken about the bill of an hour and the challenges with that and how productivity should be, shouldn't be measured necessarily by something that's so rigid. Could there be an alternative that they could, Im- that they could implement that's different to the bill of an hour? Well, I think that's an interesting question. And I think what you're beginning to see is some smaller firms are moving away from the billable hour. So they are, uh, clients are asking for fixed prices on work. Um, obviously, if you're working in-house, so if you're working for a lawyer in a bank or your local authority or the fire service or within government, then you're not working on a, a billable hour basis. Um, so I think it's important to look at alternatives. It's, I think there's just tiny little chips away at that. But I think a, a more uh, an aspect while we still have that model is to be make sure you're actually actively managing the hours that people are working. And if you see people are working and putting in huge chargeable hours, then is to think, is that sustainable? Yeah. What's going on? Um, and that taking a view that um, chargeable hours and billing is important to the bottom line of the fir- line of the firm, but that individual may also be bringing a lot into the workplace through other things that they're doing in the firm. They may be sure. leading on initiatives around mental health and well-being. They may be out speaking around their area of law and forums and things like that. So it's getting that balance of recognizing it's not just all about chargeable hours yeah. that measures someone's value in the workplace. Right. Yeah. So aside from moving onto newer ways of uh, calculating productivity. What other things could law firms be doing to help their staff uh, manage their stress and maintain their well-being? I think there's lots of things firms can be doing, and there's a lot that is being done. So, for example, the the Law Society of England and Wales um, have just produced a guidance for firms on managing stress and well-being in the workplace with some best practice. I think number one is really about raising awareness and starting to talk about the issues is developing an open culture where people feel they can speak up about what's concerning them, that they can go and talk to a colleague in confidence or a manager and have a listening ear and feel that they're supported. I think that active management piece around the hours that people are doing, practicing healthy habits. So senior leaders in workplaces Um, taking breaks, taking a lunch break, taking their holidays, leaving uh, at a reasonable time is really important because that sends a message to other people. Um, Good supervision, particularly for junior lawyers. I think feeling that you are being actively managed in how you're um, developing and your training, that you're going to have a lot more queries and questions and make mistakes when you're in the early stages of your legal career but feeling that you can go and talk to somebody about that 
and say, gosh, you know, I didn't, or I didn't understand what you wanted me to do. Because sometimes there's that fear culture in law that it can be very hard to put your hand up and say, I'm not quite sure what I'm meant to be doing here, or I think I've made a mistake, is that you need to be in an environment where you feel it's okay to go and say that. Because there isn't a lawyer in the world who probably hasn't made a mistake. Um, And particularly when you're junior and you're starting off, you may lack the confidence or the security about raising that because you'll think, oh, they'll think I'm incompetent and I can't do this. But if it's the first time you've ever done something, then chances are you're not going to find it that easy and you need that guidance. So I think good supervision for junior lawyers to make them feel they can talk about something they're not, they feel they're not handling well is really important. Um, That open culture, good working practices, uh, getting the firm talking about it, bringing in outside speakers, um, all of those things help to create that positive culture where um, you can create a mentally healthy workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you mentioned about the fear culture is something that I've heard about in one of my placements. The firm I was at, they'd moved offices and had gone from having people in offices to having people open plan. And one massive benefit that the trainees spoke about is that they had that freedom to be able to speak to the senior people. You didn't have that scary walk up to their door and knocking on knocking on their door. Can I have five minutes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could just go up because you could see when a good time would be right. to go up and speak to them. And I think that's so important is that approachability. Um, and also from a firm's point of view that... You know, if you're managing risk in your firm, you need to know if somebody's made a mistake or something's not going well so that you can mitigate that into turning into something more concerning. Yeah, of course. Um, But yeah, that's a very common... I certainly remember my training, um, you know, that having to go and knock on the door and say, can I put your head around? (laughs) Can I have five minutes? And sometimes it would be yes and sometimes it would be... No. Yeah. Um, and then that can put you off from coming back. Sure. Um, so I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to law schools and law students. Yeah. So most of our listeners will be at that stage in their careers. They'll be at university or just out of university. And um, law care do, do help law students as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we, we run a telephone helpline and a web chat service and we have a website with lots of resources for anybody in the legal sector who's worried about something so um we don't get a huge number of calls from students more likely when they're qualified or in training as trainee solicitors um but yes students can contact us if they're worried about exams or something that's going on and we'll provide support um our website has lots of resources um for people around managing stress and recognizing those signs and top tips so we're here to provide information and direct support um i I would certainly say to students if you're at university or at law school then your provider your university or law school will also be providing counseling services they'll they'll almost certainly have drop-in sessions there'll be all kinds of supports in place that you can take advantage of but I, I certainly hear anecdotally that a challenge for law students is law students, if you're, say, an undergraduate studying law and you've got some anxiety about the exams coming up, um, that you 
may not feel comfortable with declaring that you want some kind of extra support right. with the exam, for example, taking another room or taking longer, because you're anxious as to whether or not the university is going to have to tell a law firm when you apply for a job. Um, and so sometimes people hide what's going on because they're worried that if they tell someone, somehow that's going to compromise their future legal career. And we really need to move away from that, is help people understand if you need the help, asking for it and getting it is so important. Um, so there is lots of support out there. I mean, my really strong message would be, if you are worried about something and you're feeling anxious, is to talk to somebody about it, either... A colleague, if you're a student, one of your friends, go and speak to somebody at the university, the counselling service, or your tutor, or an approachable member of staff, and share what's going on for you. Call us. Just get it off your chest and talk to someone, because you will feel so much better. Right. Um, yeah. And I think a big big part of dispelling that um, fear of, of even confronting the problem, I think it is... Um, starting with opening a dialogue and having sh having people feel comfortable that the conversation is there and other people might be having the same issues as well. Yeah, and I think that's a really key thing is that often uh, people who contact us for support think they're the only person that's experienced that or feels that way. You know, in the over the 20 years that we've been running our helpline, we listen to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the legal community. Yeah. And many people feel this way. So what looks like the swan gliding across the, the lake is often someone who's paddling really furiously yeah. to keep that going. And we often don't see that because we hide it. So I think that what, what people get is a great sense of relief and reassurance that it's okay to feel like that because lots of people feel very anxious about exams or they're worried about getting a vacation scheme or scheme placement or how am I going to get a training contact contract if I don't get a first class degree in my law you know all of those things those are common worries that many people have right. so once you start talking about it and you realize you're not the only one that can provide some reassurance yeah, yeah. so the role of schools you mentioned already law schools have a lot of uh, resources and they do have um, people who are in place to speak to students right now there was a recent story about BPP Law School that they were running mindfulness sessions with their students. What, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is a step in the right direction? And do you think other places should be following suit as well? I think it's. I think it's. It really is a step in the right direction to start opening up that dialogue in in law schools and sharing some practical things that people can do to help manage their stress through things like mindfulness. Um, mindfulness in itself is a, is a great practice and it can really help people achieve focus and clarity and take a bit of time out and get perspective on things. But it needs to go alongside an understanding of why it may be challenging in the law. What are those pressures? So you can recognize those signs and do something about it. And I think that law schools really ought to be looking at what education they do around mental health and well-being to prepare students coming into practice to understand what some of those issues may be, to recognize the signs, understand how we think as humans and how our emotions affect us, uh, what those signs of stress are, and do it in a really positive way. Yeah. Um, it's not a, a, a negative thing. It's about how to help people 
um, be at their best and get the most out of their legal careers and equipping equipping them for that. So I, I think the journey for, for people before they even get into practice at law school is so important. And I think law schools, um, I think they are getting a lot more engaged with this and are doing more. Um, but I think it needs to go further than just running some mindfulness sessions. I think there needs to be some education and training around uh, why it's important to look after your mental health and well-being as a lawyer. Yeah, because it really gets to the heart of legal work. If you think about what lawyers do every day, they're using their minds. Yeah. So as a lawyer, your mind is your greatest asset. So we're all taught why we need to brush our teeth and eat lots of fruit and vegetables and look after our physical health. But I don't think we're taught enough about why we need to look after our mental health. Yeah. So if your mind is not in in the place it ought to be, you're not going to be able to do your best legal work. You're not going to have clarity. You're not going to have focus um, because you will have other things going on. So understanding that looking after your mind is as important as looking after your body is so important, is a really important lesson to get across to people. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and you mentioned before um, before we started recording how it's really a lot of the times it's simple things that can make a difference and Lawcare do have their top tips on yeah. their website um, what would be your picks of the top tips of simple things like so, you mentioned sleep as well yeah I mentioned sleep so we've got top 10 tips for well-being so number one I've already referenced is talk to someone then um, it's really making time every day for the little things that make a difference so it's eating well sleeping I'll, I'll talk a bit about that and finding time for doing the things you enjoy because what tends to happen when we're under pressure and we're really busy so you're building up to revising for exams so you're spending all your time revising and preparing is what happens is you chuck out of your life the things that actually help you stay on track so you think well i'm not going to go out with my friends tonight i'm not going to play football on saturday because i really need to do another three hours of revision is actually getting a balance built into that that recognizing that socializing with friends they are your support network is really important sleep we were chatting before we started recording that you know if i was to tell you that there was a drug available that had no side effects it was free and it worked for everybody that drug is sleep yeah um the average adult needs seven to eight hours of sleep a night we think we can get by with less and we hear these stories that you know margaret thatcher or leaders of the world can survive on four hours sleep yeah. a night it's not true um, evidence has shown that I think after two or three days of sleep deprivation, it's like you're intoxicated. It's the same effect on you as being drunk is having sleep deprivation. So if you have been drunk, you know what that feels like. You are not capable of doing uh, your work in the right. best way. So getting sleep, we've got some top tips. We've got some fact sheets on, um, we have a fact sheet on sleep. It's the most downloaded fact sheet from our website. Later in the year, we're going to be launching some top tips on sleep as well. But we've got, at the moment, some, some pointers on sleep. So getting good sleep, looking after yourself, spending time with your friends and your family, prioritizing your own self is so important. Um, because all of these things are little things. They're not rocket science. Yeah. You don't need apps, Fitbits, and all kinds of things like that to manage your mental health and well-being. Yeah. You just need to commit to... Uh, making time for those things each day and valuing them. I think that's the problem is we value perhaps spending more time at work, 
or longer on our revision then we actually value looking after ourselves and flipping that a little bit and thinking yeah okay i'm going to take an hour's break i'm going to go out i'm going to have a walk uh, i'm going to get some fresh air because when you come back you're going to be in a better place to do that next task Um, and regular breaks are so important um so I really recommend having a look at some of those top tips because they're easy, um, particularly if you're planning your revision schedule and things like that, is build time into that for breaks, seeing other people um, and working out how you can make sure you're well rested um, and in a good place so that you can can do your best when that exam comes around. Um, and then if you're in on a training contract and you're now a trainee solicitor and you may be working very long hours is is really think about how you can fit things in that help you stay in a good place yeah so i think that is important the way you talked about valuing it and reframing it almost as if you have a break it's not you being unproductive or taking time off the thing that you should be doing even if you're looking at working um in the interest of of doing your work as best you can that time off could actually benefit what you're trying to do ultimately it absolutely does and there's lots of research that shows that our brains can only focus for i think it's about 40 to 40 minutes at a time so if you're revising or working on a topic is plugging away at something for three or four hours without a break you'd be better off after say 45 minutes or an hour thinking right i'm going to stand up just for five minutes yeah you know go and have a a walk around the office or go outside or stand up do a mindfulness exercise or take some deep breaths um because it will just refresh you and bring you to a place where then you can come back and look at it again is your brain needs that that little rest um Certainly regular breaks are a very common challenge in in the law is people don't take a lunch break. They never leave the office. You know, even if you're just going to nip out to Pret and grab a sandwich at lunchtime, at least it gets you away from your desk and out for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. It just gives you that breather. Um, So there's lots of simple things you can do. And we've got those kinds of tips on our website of things you can do in five or 10 minutes that can make a difference um but it's as you say and we were talking about it's really recognizing that doing those things helps you to do the work or the revision better yeah um because we're not machines you know we're humans um and somebody was telling me about a study that was done during world war ii when obviously we were making lots of uh bullets and munitions that people that worked in munitions factories is they did a study comparing those who'd worked, I think, 40 or 50 hours a week in the factory to those that were working 70. And it showed their productivity by working 20 hours more. They were not more productive, they were less. And we're seeing now a lot around the four-day working week. And some countries have been looking at this and there's been research showing that people that work four days a week are more productive because they're more focused because they know they've got four days to get the work done so it's really about working smarter not longer it's thinking about how you can be at your best you minimize distractions you know our phones and social media take us down rabbit holes all the time so it's very easy at work or revising the phone pings and Um, then you've had a 10 minute break because you've 
gone and looked on Facebook, Instagram, had a look at the BBC website, then you try and come back to that task, that also then takes your brain a while to get back into gear from where was I before I went off and did that. Because that's not a scheduled planned break, that's a distraction. So it's about really thinking about how you minimize those distractions and you think, right, I've got this to do, I'm going to do it, I'm going to take a break in an hour, I'm not going to look at... So it's really important managing phones and laptops and access to that because that's a very easy distraction in the workplace or studying. Um, And we've all done it. You can waste so much time um, looking at all of that before you know it, you spent two hours a day on your phone. Yeah, I'm certainly guilty of that. We all are, you know, uh, we all... I I think that somebody... I don't know where the data came from. Somebody, I heard somebody say at a conference that since the advent of the BlackBerry, which obviously pre precursor to smartphones, that the number of hours we worked went up with the advent of the BlackBerry because suddenly everyone could check their emails. But productivity hasn't gone up right. because we're just spending another two hours a day looking at all of this stuff, but we're not actually achieving Getting anything. Done, you know, right. you can easily, I'm guilty of it myself spend an entire day think oh i've worked really hard today then you look at what you've done oh yeah i've just replied to 100 emails yeah but i haven't actually drafted that paper for the board or thought about the strategy for this or drafted that difficult if you're a lawyer that letter back to the client because i've just been dealing with the stuff that's on the surface sure you know so it's i think that is a challenge in the 21st century when there's so much coming at us is is how you keep that focus and manage all of those distractions um, and not allow them to sort of take you away from what you need to be doing. Um, So maintaining that focus isn't always easy. So the message is taking structured breaks, planned breaks, doing the things you like can actually help your productivity. It's not time being unproductive. And really planning, planning your day, if it's work or study, is really thinking, right, I've come into work, I've got three main tasks I've got to do. And doing the most, the the most difficult thing that you don't want to do the most, do it first. Get it done. Because the challenge is you do all the other stuff and then it gets to four o'clock and then you're there till nine because you've now got the task you've been putting off all day. Right. But those sorts of things are very... We also have some advice on those sort of time management. Um, and if you if you really adopt those strategies, they can really help you in a big way um, because they're easy, but it requires some discipline yeah. in order to do that. But it can become a habit. So one thing that you mentioned uh, to me before was your new campaign. I'd love yeah. to hear, hear more about that, about Fit for Law. Yeah, so Fit for Law, we are um, launching in this month, January, um, a new resource that we've developed with the Open University. Um, and it's an online resource that's going to be freely available to anybody based on focus groups, talking to lawyers about how to understand your emotions and the impact of the work on you. So some practical tips that you can go through about supporting your well-being. There's lawyers talking about their own experiences. So it's all the sorts of things we've been talking about today, um, but a practical educational tool that you can work through to help you think about the strategies you can put in place to help you uh, manage uh, your workload and the pressures of, of work so that they don't compromise your mental health and well-being. So the, the first section of this is all about understanding yourself. 
um, and it's all aimed at people working in the law. And further down the law line, we plan to bring out some resources for organizations and employers as to how they can uh, create environments where people can be at their best. And for students as well, is that something that they could We've, get involved Yeah, with? students can have a look at this. It's going to be freely available. The, the website is fitforlaw.org.uk. Um, and that will take you to the link on the Open University website. And yes, it's available for students. We are thinking also of developing, this is again for the future, some specific online resources for law students around understanding um, the pressures of law and getting through the sort of training and education side of it. Um, so that's something for the future as well. But yes, certainly Fit for Law is will be available to anybody who wants to use it. Sounds fantastic. So my final question is, if you could give one piece of advice to law students who are struggling to balance everything right now, maybe if it's the academics as well as moving away from where they live, or maybe if they have a part-time job as well, what would you say to them? I'd say go and talk to someone, but also hang on to why you want to do law. What was it that motivated you to start a law degree? Why do you want to be a lawyer? And, and keep reminding yourself of what it is that interests and excites you about the law, because that will help you keep going. But also, really importantly, if you're worried about something, is go and speak to somebody about it, because there's so much help and support out there. Um, and that will help you get through um, that difficult time that you may be having. And if you're looking for someone to speak to, Lawcare have a helpline. Yep. We have a helpline that you can call. The details are on our website, lawcare.org.uk. Um, or you can call 0800 Um, Your university and law school will also have resources. We also have web chat where you can go on our website and talk to somebody over um, the internet if you don't feel comfortable with talking to somebody. Because it isn't easy yeah. to pick the phone up and speak to a stranger. And it also isn't easy to go and talk to somebody face-to-face about things for because you may feel they're going to think I'm not very good at this or it's a career-limiting step. Um, it sometimes isn't easy to talk to family and friends either. So particularly if you're a student, you know, your parents may have very high expectations of you studying for a law degree. You may feel, I can't, I don't know how to tell them that I'm finding this really hard because they're so proud of me that I'm doing this and I'm going to be a lawyer. So there can be lots of reasons where it may be hard. You may feel it's hard. But what most people say once they talk to somebody, they feel so much better. And people are receptive that when you do talk to someone, most people are going to be understanding and will want to try and help you. Right. So if you are someone who's listened to this, who does feel like they will benefit from that help, um, be sure to call LawCare's helpline or go on their web chat as well. Or alternatively, make sure you can speak to your university because they'll definitely have someone who can support with that as well. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed learning about law care and the work that it does. Great. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have been able to do it. Thank, thank you. you. That brings us to the end of this episode with law care. We want to give a massive thank you to Elizabeth and Tango the dog who took the time to chat with us. Head over to Instagram, LinkedIn or Facebook to let us know your thoughts on the podcast and what you want to hear from us next. In fact, you'll find a picture we took of myself, Elizabeth and Tango on our Instagram page. So go and drop that a like. Also, if you've not signed up to our mailing list yet, 
head over to our website, thiswithlaw.co.uk, to get on that. In those emails, we've tried our best to make commercial awareness more engaging and fun. So sign up and have a look for yourself. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Little Law Podcast. Thank you.